What if the way you've done business for almost an entire century was turned completely upside down at the snap of a finger? That's what's about to happen in British horse racing. Could the same ever happen here? Plus, we hop aboard the Kentucky Derby Trail. Who's making waves and will they still be around when we get to May? We'll have all that and more straight ahead on this edition of In the Gate. They're in the gate. They're in the gate. In the gate. They're in the gate. It's a head-bobbing finish! This is In The Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well. Get us at the iTunes Store or TuneIn.com. You can find us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone that you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. What do you think of when you hear the word monopoly? Maybe the board game? Maybe the so-called captains of industry who had virtual monopolies on various lucrative businesses in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. You know, people like John D. Rockefeller with Standard Oil, Andrew Carnegie with U.S. Steel. Oh, by the way, both of those families have deep roots in the horse racing business. The thing is, people like Rockefeller and Carnegie either started their entire industries from scratch or consolidated a lot of existing businesses which were run by people who had no idea how to grow and monetize their industries. That sort of thing doesn't really happen in the modern day, does it? At least, not in a country with true democratic rule of law anyway. Or does it? In 1928, the government in the United Kingdom, England, Scotland, and Wales, passed a law known as the Racecourse Betting Act. That basically nationalized paramutual betting on horse racing. Certainly different from what we have here, but no one complained. Then in 2011, the right to operate the tote, as it's commonly called, was sold to a private company, Betfred, owned by a guy, Fred Doan. The contract was to run for seven years until this coming July, as it turns out. All of a sudden, one company had a virtual monopoly on pool bets on British horse racing. Now, remember, in Britain, unlike here, there is not just the paramutual betting we're used to here in the United States, but there's also fixed-odds betting. The payouts are set before the race happens. Fixed odds. That does not fall under the tote bets. The tote bets are pools, like we have here. Nonetheless, we're talking about a lot of money controlled by Betfred. But now, most of the tracks in England have said enough. They are banding together to take over the tote from Betfred, whose exclusive license is, as we mentioned, about to expire. The tracks are going to work together to operate the pool betting service. What does this mean for the tracks, for horse players? And could such a thing ever happen here in the United States? And for that matter, should it? We'll get into all of that as we first welcome to In the Gate the Director of Communications for this new pool betting venture, David Williams. So first of all, why did the government essentially sell the tote operation seven years ago to a private individual at all? 
Uh, it's a very interesting question, and I think there's still a lot of people in racing who are scratching their heads about that. Remember the the tote as it is as it is known was set up between the two world wars uh, i think by winston churchill of all people and um is a it sort of had a had a, an element of a national institution now the government privatized that that was a conservative government they privatized that racing to a lesser or greater extent bid for that but fred doan the uh, manchester based betting shop magnet entrepreneur was successful in bidding for the tote and for the last seven years uh, he has had a monopoly on tote betting on the race courses that monopoly barry expires uh, this summer in july 2018 funnily enough it's friday the 13th friday the 13th of july 2018 <laughs> and racing um which was unsuccessful seven years ago now has the opportunity to compete in that competitive environment and is setting up its own rival to um, the privately owned Fred Doan run tote. And that is what Britbet, which is British race courses, not all of them, but the majority of British race courses, pool betting operation. And that will come into operation on Friday, the 13th of July. So when you say you're now going to operate the tote license, how does that work with, you know, with actually acquiring that? Like, what are you able to tell us? Well, it does, no. Okay. So it doesn't, it, it's not necessarily a switch. Fred still has the right to operate his, uh, tote. And that's what it is. He has the brand of the tote. This is a rival pool betting operation that will operate on 55 of the race courses. So Fred Doan's tote brand has been seen on the race courses all of the race courses for the last seven years no longer does he have that because the race courses effectively own have the opportunity now that we're in a competitive place that the monopoly is over to run their own pool betting operation that is what we're doing that is what we're setting up from scratch it is funded by the race courses and the revenues, the profits that will come from that operation will go back to those partner race courses, the 55 race courses who are in for this. It just so happens that if you go racing in the UK from July the 13th onwards, across the overwhelming majority of those tracks, 55, you will be greeted with BritBet, which is our pool betting brand, rather than the Tote brand, which for many UK customers, that's all they have ever known on the race course. All right. First of all, I had seen the number 54. We're now up to 55. Is that right? I think that might be a, a sort of a clerical error insofar as Newmarket, of course, has two race courses. It has the Roly Mile and it has the July course. So maybe we're counting Newmarket twice, but um, uh, I'm not going to get into the uh, the uh, the politics of the Newmarket racing fraternity. I think they would say they've got two race courses. So I think we count that as two. Are you allowed to tell us how this process came about that you all were able to procure the contract with the government? Well, no, look, it's not really a sort of contract with the government as such. As I say, when, when, when Fred Doan won the bidding war, and it was a bidding war, he was successful in, in getting his tender seven years ago, he had the exclusive rights to tote betting. All that has happened is that their competitive marketplace has now opened up. So there is no monopoly as of this summer within the UK. I think that has the potential to be really good for customers. I think it will certainly put some pep and ginger, put some 
uh, refreshment into the pool betting operation, which I think some people think has been a bit stagnant, has been a bit lacking in liquidity, has been in need of an overhaul and maybe a bit of a sort of uh, some love and affection. I think that will ultimately benefit the consumer. There is a question mark about whether split pools will provide the liquidity that is required for robust pools. But just as importantly, and I think this really is the point, this is an operation for the first time now that is owned by the racecourses. And that revenue stream is a really valuable one. You know, in the UK, the racecourses have done extremely well in procuring um, some really impressive returns by selling their media rights and their picture rights to licensed betting offices, but they've never had ownership really of the betting streams coming from the racecourses. Now, for a pool operator, there are uh, probably four revenue streams. There are the, the licensed betting betting offices, what we would call the bookies in the UK. There are professional punters. The two really interesting ones for us are, of course, the race courses. Six million people a year in the UK go visit UK race courses. Um, how many startups, because that's effectively what we are, have the best part of six million potential customers ready for them uh, in the first few months? That's a huge opportunity. And of course, international collaboration so betting into international pools and trying to come to agreement with some of the overseas jurisdictions about um, taking some of their pools that is something that we are working on it's something that we're excited to be working on i can't go into too many details about it but hugely exciting we're chatting with David Williams, the Director of Communications for the British Racetrack Consortium BritBets that will soon be operating at least part of the national paramutual betting system. Now, in addition to operating the tote, Betfred also sponsored roughly 10% of the 10,000 or so British races run every year. And Fred Doan, whom we mentioned, the billionaire CEO and namesake of Betfred, says that he won't stay where I'm not wanted. That's a quote from him. What kind of an impact will the end of his race sponsorships have on British racing at your tracks? Well, look, I think, you know, what, what is probably worth worth um, acknowledging is that Fred ha- was and, and, and Betfred were strong supporters of British racing by way of sponsorship uh, up until maybe I think it was perhaps three years ago, he sponsored the Cheltenham Gold Cup, the blue ribboned event of the national hunt season. That's now sponsored by Timico. And I think actually, if you look at the the spread of sponsors in UK racing, Barry, across perhaps the last two or three years, there has been a move away from bookmaking brands, the likes of Ladbrokes and William Hill, certainly Ladbrokes sponsor fewer races than they than they than they did five, certainly 10 years ago. And racing is trying to broaden its sponsorship appeal uh, beyond perhaps just the betting industry. So I think rather than sort of worry too much about what what the impact of one individual or one brand will have, whilst acknowledging that he was a a very good and strong supporter. and, And I think the racing industry would hope that he continues to be albeit to a lesser effect, as long as the quantum is secured and 
A lot of the metrics over here suggest that race sponsorship in the UK is to a wider audience, to a broader audience. As long as that quantum is sustained, uh, I think we're in pretty good shape. Now, with regards to BritBet and sponsorship, it's something that we're very much looking at. We're a startup, so we're not uh, going to probably have the brand awareness that Certainly some of the more established bookmaking brands have. But sponsorship is something maybe not in, 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 in the first sort of few days and weeks of our operation, but later down the line. That's something we'd like to get involved with. This is the first time that betting is being done on the race courses for the benefit of the race courses. And obviously sponsorship is a, a very valuable part of the marketing matrix that we would want to would we, we would want to look into. I guess the big question here is, what does it take for so many different interests to come together on such a large scale? Yeah, it, it, it's quite incredible, really. And I think if you look at this historically, <clears throat> you know, the, 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 the state of, of, of British racing, I think there was probably a groundswell of opinion, perhaps at the turn of the century, that the bookmaking industry, the traditional high street bookmaking industry was very, very good at putting on a united front when it came to arguing its case with government, when it came to negotiating commercially with the British racing PLC, if we put it like that. And racing, of course, had an awful lot of fragmented constituents who each had different uh, objectives, who each had their different views about how they could try and make money. Now, in recent years, without any question, there has been a coming together of the race courses, the horsemen's group, uh, the BHA, the governing body, the British Horse Racing Authority, um, the ROA, um, the trainers, the owners have all come together not entirely without a few hiccups along the way, but in a much more unified way to present a, a near enough a united front around British racing and what is best for the sport so that revenue streams could be protected and could be grown to the benefit of the sport, much more so than to the benefit of private shareholders and uh, PLC institutions, listed institutions. So that is something I think that British racing has an awful lot to be proud of. What we're doing uh, with the 55 courses, our partner courses, is an extension of that. And it's something we're, we're not only excited about, but we're very proud of as well, because we think not only have we got some really exciting product innovations rattling down the line, not only have we got, you know, some fresh marketing ideas that hopefully is going to inspire a new generation of customers to engage with pool betting in a way that they just hitherto have, have, have not done so. But the ethos of the project is as healthy as it can be, if betting can ever be considered healthy. But <laughs> of, course, of course, Barry, you're leaning on an open door with me and I'll always tell you that it can within reason. Well, it's interesting you mentioned the term new ideas. I mean, ostensibly your arrangement is being promoted along the lines of by racing for racing which is understandable how much do you fear that much like the thoroughbred bloodline registry itself you're now set up to inbreed when it comes to new ideas and things like that that there won't be much of a different perspective and capital as well from the outside no, I, I, I wouldn't be concerned about that at all. And, and, and one of the reasons for that is, 
and I have the benefit of the inside track in this regard. We are working with some really, really talented technological providers. Colossus Bets are doing a lot of work for us. They are innovative, hugely innovative in the UK when it comes to pool betting ideas, liquidity, cash out. We've got some really hot data partners. The benefit of working with those kind of partners, and they want to be in on this project. They fully understand that this is a worthy project. Of course, yes, there's going to be revenues in it for it, and, and, and we understand that. But there is a huge desire to really have a dart at doing this a little bit differently, a little bit refreshing. Yes, we need to get the liquidity in. Yes, we know that we have that on the race courses. We know that we will try to do some deals with international jurisdictions to bet into their pools and get their liquidity. But we have a a drumbeat of product innovations that are going to be revealed this side of July and be available to punters, to customers from July that we're very, very confident they're going to embrace. It is not often you see just a fundamental system, one that you just figure will never change for as long as you're alive in such flux in such a short period of time. David Williams, thank you so much for talking with us. And we definitely will be monitoring this monitoring this very unique and potentially groundbreaking situation. That would be great, Barry. You take care. Thank you. We are going to take a short break here on In the Gate. But when we come back, we hop aboard the Kentucky Derby Trail with our good friend Gary West. So don't go away. turn up to take the lead it's audible in front by a neck free drop billy looms up alongside second two and a half back to tis mischief who rallies into third big time confrontation audible on the inside turns away the challenger free drop billy and he now has three on the rest of the field inside the final furlong no confrontation at all audible kicks away it's audible and jockey javier castellano to win the holy bull with style and win it by five it would not be a Kentucky Derby trail if you didn't have some big-time Todd Pletcher trainee jumping up and winning a major stakes race at Gulfstream Park early in the racing season. And sure enough, Audible definitely looked the part in winning the Holy Bull. And to discuss where we are on the Derby trail, it is my absolute pleasure to welcome back our good friend Gary West, the Dean of Racing Journalists. And Gary, I know that we all jump on the bandwagon and say this horse is terrific that horse is terrific and it's way too early to do that but audible just ranged up strode away looked like the kind of horse that wins the kentucky derby how much did he impress you well i I was very impressed with audible he reminded me somewhat of always dreaming and and that he's a horse that we hadn't hadn't thought about in in, in the highest regard and, and until that race. And he sort of burst on the scene with one tremendous performance winning by five and a half lengths. But if you look at the race objectively, it, it you know, wasn't a very fast race. And I think at this point, uh, no, no three-year-old has, has reached the level of performance that good magic and bolt Doro already showed as two-year-olds. So, so I think they're the ones that uh, are, are at the head of the class here and leading the way toward Kentucky. Good Magic has had, I think, three workouts now in Florida. A fourth should be coming up soon. And he is aimed at the Fountain of Youth March 3rd. 
Doro has had three workouts as well in California. The latest one was Thursday, he went a half and 47 and change. And he, I think, is aimed at the San Felipe uh, March 10th. And, and those two horses, uh, I still think, are the ones that have the most license to step forward and, and are the ones to beat. You know, the, the Kentucky Derby is all about development. Uh, the horse that wins the Derby is going to be the horse that runs the race of his life, the best race of his life to that point. And both Doro and Good Magic don't have to develop as much as some of these other horses. Nobody has run a race yet that could win the Derby. They're all moving toward that, developing toward that. And Good Magic, a son of Curlin, you have to think is going to get better and better. Both Doro already has shown tremendous talent. And in that development cycle. They're just ahead of the rest of these horses right now. Um, but there are a number of good ones out there, such as Audible, that I think are capable of taking a big step forward. And that's what three-year-olds often do this time of year. McKenzie, who won the sham, I thought looked terrific. McKenzie Blinkless for the first time is being stoked up now. He's moving up out three wide. He puts his head past Shiver Me Timbers and draws within a neck of the leader. They come to the quarter pole and it's all out. Blitz on the inside of McKenzie. McKenzie strides clear at the eighth pole. Puts two lengths on all out Blitz. Four lengths away Shiver Me Timbers with my boy Jack. But it's a domineering display by the ultra-talented McKenzie as he takes the sham while well in hand. We're a Bob Baffert, who has another colt named Solomini, uh, who, of course, was disqualified in the cash call. And and he was second in the Breeders' Cup. He's a uh, big, strong-looking uh, horse who, who could move forward. And, and Baffert's got two rather inconspicuous colts that I think are enormously talented. One of them is Axeman who uh, is is going to make his stakes debut in the San Vicente. He won his debut on New Year's Day. And so some people will talk about the curse of Apollo regarding him. I pointed out many years ago that no Kentucky Derby winner uh, had been unraced as a two-year-old since Apollo in 1882. And now that's become one of the Kentucky Derby laws and premises, especially for a priori thinkers. But it's going to happen that a horse unraced at two goes on to win the Kentucky Derby. And Axeman appears to have the talent to move forward and be a, a, a threat on the road to Kentucky. And so does a colt named Zulfikar, I believe it is. He, he hasn't run since he won his debut back in July. And he's a great big strong horse who recently worked in company in California with Ten Blessings. Remember him? He, he's a five-year-old stakes horse. And Zulfikar outworked him out of the gate, going seven-eighths. Actually, Ten Blessings went three-quarters. But but this is a, a horse of enormous talent, as is Axeman, and we haven't heard much from them. So it started to heat up on the road to Kentucky, and I think there are a number of outstanding prospects out there, but they're led by two, Good Magic and Bolt Doro. And, you know, it seems, as you mentioned, that most of the good horses, or not most, but many of the good horses, are based in California. One of those is a horse who ran in a race you just referenced, the cash call, and that's Instilled Regard. Instilled Regard has taken the lead with one more furlong to go. Between horses looking to stay on is Snapper Sinclair. Principe Guilherme with a grinding run on the outside, but well inside the final half furlong with Javier Castellano. 
It's in still regard to win the Lacombe Stakes by three and a half lengths. Now, his race in the Lacombe was really, really strong, and he was coming hard at the end of the cash call, too. Don't overlook him. I, I agree. I have the highest regard for instilled regard. He, he was in that three-horse photo in the cash call. Then he went to New Orleans and and just overwhelmed that field in the Lacombe. And, of course, he comes in the stable of Jerry Hollendorfer, uh, one of the greatest trainers of our time who doesn't run very often in new orleans either no he doesn't and he's not going he, he doesn't put him on a van unless he's very serious and uh, if he shows up in kentucky with this horse uh, certainly take note but this is a a, a million dollar purchase by arch grand looking horse and uh, yes he's another that could that could take that step and become uh, a kentucky derby contender of the first order I wanted to get your thoughts because of all your vast experience. Gary West is our guest here on In the Gate about what we've mentioned here at the top of the show, and that is these tracks in Britain getting together to basically take over operation of the tote of the pool betting, the paramutual system in that country. And it, of course, leads you to wonder whether anything like that could or should happen here in the states with the states operating or the the tracks operating those pools to return more of the churn directly to them without a middleman with the state by state regulations as they are is there any chance something like that could ever happen here well i applaud the the uk racetracks for seizing control of their of their futures in this way and you're absolutely right that uh, the third party should not be skimming off a sizable portion of the proceeds. And in this country, of course, the, the, the money is, is split um, several ways. And, and the horsemen in the racetracks often don't get what would seem to be their fair share since they are putting on the show and are the competitors in, in the program. And I would certainly like to see horsemen and racetracks uh, take more control of the betting process, and that is is something that could deliver more revenue to uh, to purses and to racetracks both. But uh, the the situation here is is different from from England in that uh, every every state is independent and uh, self regulated, and every every horseman's group is I think uh, independent as well and there's unfortunately not not a great deal of cooperation among all these groups among the racetracks even so I think it would be very difficult you know we even haven't we haven't even been able to agree on a standard set of rules to uh, govern the sport and and to agree on on the distribution of revenue would would be an even further step one thing on which we can agree, though, is that the Breeders' Cup is one of the biggest weekends in American racing. For whatever reason, the Breeders' Cup group wants to change the way the weekend happens. First of all, they've added a race, the Juvenile Turf Sprint, two-year-old sprinting on the grass. And now they're talking potentially about even moving the Breeders' Cup Classic to a different weekend, not the weekend with all the other races what do you make of all of this? I hate to sound like an old traditionalist, but uh, some traditions are traditional because they're, they're the best way to go about things. And I, I think having the Breeders' Cup Classic as the culmination of the event 
is certainly the best possible way to showcase the sport. When the Breeders' Cup began expanding, you know, they, I think it expanded to two days for the first time in 2007. And they did that largely to pander to the desires of the British horsemen. And in doing that, they created the um, the turf sprint and then the juvenile turf and the juvenile fillies turf. And now we have a juvenile turf sprint, all to attract the Europeans. And, and that's fine. I, I, I certainly like to um, see European horses come. But in, in expanding this event, what we have done in effect is we've diluted the quality of the fields and we ask yourself this question would safely kept have won the breeders cup sprint if there had been at the time a breeders cup philly amir sprint uh, i i don't think so i think she would have won and taken the base on balls in the philly amir sprint and and safely kept of course one of the one of the great sprinters uh, of modern times and one of the great sprinting phillies we've ever seen and and we would have been denied uh, the the challenge, or she would have been denied the challenge of of, uh, of running against the males in the Breeders' Cup Sprint. Not denied it, but it, it probably would, would not have taken that opportunity. So it, it definitely dilutes the quality of, of the various Breeders' Cup races. And and we diluted the quality as well by making it two days. And it would it would just extend it to a ridiculous point if, if we moved the Breeders' Cup Classic into December on its separate day. Uh, it would just change the whole atmosphere, I think. And I would certainly uh, disagree. And although we've created more and more races to attract more and more horses, and that's good, and that it democratically distributes the money into many more hands. But have we, have we attracted better horses? Have we attracted the best horses from Europe? All of these European style races, I don't think have attracted the very best of Europe uh, in recent years. And even if they go the next step and, and have uh, clockwise races, you know, would, would, would that ludicrously um, be effective in, in attracting the, the best of Europe? I don't know, but I do know this. Uh, what attracts Europeans, as Americans and everyone else, is a pot of gold. And if you increase the purses of these races, that they will attract the best horses in the world. Wow, a clockwise Breeders' Cup race. That is a fascinating idea. I hadn't even thought of that. I would love to see that. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm sure some Europeans would love to see that, too. <laughs> well, Gary West, it has been far too long since we had you on this show. Thank you so much for a few minutes. Continued good health. We'll do this again extremely soon. I look forward to it, Barry. Thank you. Our thanks to Gary West and to David Williams. Do you think children would teach themselves if no teacher was in the classroom? Would people not steal if they knew there was no police? An authority figure who enforces compliance with rules and regulations is a threat to those who would skirt the law, at least. In racing, one of those people is an equine medical director who manages horses' health, safety, and welfare. For those giving horses drugs disallowed by the jurisdiction's rules, the director would root out all who would dare. Not every state has such a person. Maryland, for instance, withdrew a bill that would require one. It's the second straight year the bill didn't pass, even though the costs would fall on horsemen themselves. The state costs would be none. If racing is to grow, there can be no doubt of its integrity. 
Look at baseball after the Black Sox were thrown out. An equine medical director in each state that offers racing would give the push for integrity some clout. You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well at the iTunes Store or TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone that you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's In The Gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We'll see you next time.